One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Canadaland Commons is brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Wealth Simple. If you are a listener of this podcast, you can get your first $10,000 managed for free for two years just by visiting wealthsimple.com slash commons. Go check it out. Take a look. Even if you have 20 bucks to put away, it's a start. So by now, we all know that Andrew Scheer won. He's the new Conservative Party leader. But last Saturday, all was yet to be revealed. And that's when we met some of you at the Monarch Tavern in Toronto. What you're about to hear is just how unexpected that victory was. You'll hear us talk with Ginny Movit, a senior consultant with Crestview Strategy, about this very weird race, the issues that were raised as about 100 Conservatives made a run for the crown, and finally, our flabbergasted surprise at the narrowly achieved upset, and whether or not this Andrew Scheer guy can unseat Justin Trudeau. How do you couldn't make it? Many of you could. Ryan and I were in Toronto. From Canada Land, this is Commons. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The only rule tonight is that when you hear the phrase Canadian values, either from someone you're sitting next to, a pundit on the CPAC, or from one of the candidates themselves, everybody drinks. Do we agree? Let's raise a glass to that once. All right, here we go. All right, so now let's get into the candidates who might do something tonight. In 10th place is Chris Alexander. Probably isn't going to end up being leader. I'm going to make that bold prediction right now. But he's a former Minister of Citizenship and Immigration. Uh, If you might remember him as the one who publicized that barbaric cultural practices hotline in the last election, stand-up guy. Um, The interesting thing is that there are a lot of people in the establishment who will defend him and don't really understand where he ended up going with that cultural practices tip line. But he's also one of the people who was at that rebel media or uh, rally where they started chanting lock her up. So any credibility he had as trying to be a consensus centrist candidate, I think has long flown out the window. Well, and he tried to follow me on Twitter uh, as well, which was maybe a bad omen for, I just politely asked him not to follow me. (laughs) And he said, why not? And I said, I just don't want you to. And he went, okay. And then he unfollowed me. (laughs) 
That's amazing. That was amazing. It was so civil. I, I was expecting a fight, but uh, there was no fight there. He just politely unfollowed. Chris Alexander could hang in for a bit, but uh, a lot of his followers will probably go towards maybe Leech, maybe the uh, Shearer's consensus, maybe even the Mieux because he's, he's really pushed his anti-M103 stance very loudly in his fundraising emails. Also one who was making friends with the rebel crowd. So then in ninth place at this point, we have Stephen Blaney. Again, he's one of those people where I sort of have that moment of, I guess I know who you are. You're in this race. You hung on. They all hung on for so long. Why? But he was a former minister of public safety a former minister of veterans affairs and part of the conservatives Quebec breakthrough, which might be why he thought he had a shot because Quebec, the way that they have structured the vote tonight, regional representation has to be very broadly spread out. So anyone who can try and make inroads in Quebec, it, like there's a reason O'Leary did drop out over his lack of support in Quebec. And in old school delegated conventions, when someone dropped out, you would see their group of people like move across the floor wearing their scarves and then go join this other team and don their colors. And it was this weird drama. And because it's a secret ballot, we don't actually we can infer insight into where support went, but we won't know as definitively, which is interesting because it lacks that sort of kingmaker or queenmaker, maybe Kelly Leach will pull it out, drama of it all, where you end up having people being promised certain positions. Well, and I really look forward to our conversation with Ginny uh, in that way because I think she'll bring a lot of perspective uh, from the floor and, and give us a perspective on what might be happening right now during that vote. So we want to say thank you very much for, uh, for being here, Ginny, as well. And uh, we're going to run through the, the remaining. I mean, some of this is interesting, but let's just, we'll go through Blaney, Lisa Ray, Kelly Leach, Pierre Lemieux. Now, if I had nightmares about anyone, it was Lemieux. Yeah. Uh, he might actually be more offensive than Kelly Leach. I, I believe so. Like, actually, like, on a lot of issues, but he flew under the radar. And I said this earlier, but he was third in fundraising. Yeah. And that, to me, says a lot. I got his, I got a lot of the candidates' email fundraising blasts, and his were particularly odious. They were, M103 is going to make it illegal to criticize Islam in Canada. Um, C16 is going to make it so that your children are in bathrooms with men. If you don't know what C16 is, it's a bill to enshrine transgender rights in uh, the Canadian as a protected right under the Canadian Charter. Important piece of legislation that trans activists fought for for a long time that for a number of the candidates became something they were using to try and fundraise off of. And Lemire perhaps the most uh, aggressively. Although I will say Andrew Shear, who's seen, he's in second right now after the first ballot, has also been pretty vocal in his opposition to that. That's right. Michael Chong sits in fifth place. Now, as a card-carrying NDPer, who voted for Trudeau in the last election. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm here to be honest with you all. Michael Chong is the one that I thought I would eat dinner with that guy. He seemed pretty reasonable uh, and also seems like he has no chance in winning. But that was my guy. I put three bucks on him and uh, I'm going to lose three bucks. Well, you know, he was the only one who supported a carbon tax. He voted for M103, the motion to condemn Islamophobia. He was the candidate who could have occupied that center space. And I think this is what's always interesting about leadership races is you have to run to your base to win and then you can move to the center. And he started in the center. But that fifth place to me shows that he at least managed to attract a lot of people who might occupy that center, center right space who perhaps voted for Trudeau because they retired of the Harper Conservatives but could be courted as a conservative voter, especially given the deficits the liberals are running and a lot of their broken promises already on things like electoral reform, there are soft center, center-right voters who perhaps Chong could have enticed. I don't think he's going to go from fifth to taking this, but I think that that, even though it's only you know 2,500 some odd points in the weird distributed point system, uh, you know, 7.5% of the total popular vote, that, that shows that he had a decent 
groundswell behind him. And you know who I'm not down with? Brad Tross. There we go. In fourth place, that's actually a lot higher than I would have put him on this if I'd written out my first ballot predictions. So that to me shows that he tapped. There is an appetite in the Conservative Party for the social conservative views to be aired and to be aired loudly. And he gave them that, or at least his campaign manager did in proxy by bizarre videos. Aaron O'Toole, Andrew Scheer, and Maxime Bernier round out the top three. I think those were names that many people, had they been betting, uh, would have expected in this, uh, in this space. And again, we know that 16,901 points. Point so the points in each riding is worth 100 points. Yes. And then whatever percentage you got of that, you get that percentage of points. So what's really interesting right now is that Maxime is at... 9,763.32 and Andrew Shear is at 7,375.79. That is a much tighter margin than I expected on the first ballot. Very tight. So they have blown through a number of ballots while we oh, were chatting. Currently in first place, Maxime Bernier, 10,313 points, 30.51%. All right, so we've got Ginny Movit up on the stage now. As I said, she is a senior consultant with Crestview Strategy and a former advisor to the Ontario Progressive Conservatives. So she is a veritable member of the Conservative Party of Canada who is there today voting. And uh, will give us a sense. She's got her badge showing it off. Give us a sense of what was playing out on the floor. It was a positive vibe. I mean... There are all sorts of reasons why this could have gone really, really badly. I mean, the Liberals sent out an email yesterday saying that the Tories had out-fundraised them two to one, uh, and it was embarrassing, and they should probably donate. So uh, that's, that's a pretty good metric to go on as far as success is concerned. And this leadership will have the most votes of any leadership in Canadian history. So it was a really positive vibe for those very reasons. So it seems like the narrative in this race was that the race was too long, there was too many candidates, There's a, there was a lot of negative spin around the race itself and that, that the burden of 14 candidates and the distractions around um, some of the discourse in the race with some of the candidates was, a, was sort of a negative uh, for the Conservative Party. Do you get that sense or do you, like you just articulated, do you sense there is a good health uh, with the party uh, yeah, today? Uh, it was kind of brutal to watch debates with 14 candidates. and like That was not fun yeah. for anyone. It was not compelling. It wasn't good TV. But, I mean, it wasn't good TV. That's the point. I mean, a lot, I think a lot of this is coming from broadcast journalists who need to produce good TV. And you want conflict. You want drama. And there hasn't been a lot of conflict or drama, which has made it a little bit boring. Also, a lot of people who are critiquing this convention say they want to, like, hearken back to the days of someone crossing the the convention floor in dramatic fashion and oh, I'm going to throw my support to so and so so I can be the, a cabinet minister in their government that was not, that's not fair Like that's actually not that's a not, good way of choosing a leader that was the no. definition of old school backroom politics right. so yeah. this is actually how you allow the grassroots to choose a leader in a pretty progressive way like the great irony of the liberal government having committed to make to made a commitment electoral reform and now the Tories are running their leadership on a ranked ballot like interesting um, but they don't actually, they don't support, they support a ranked ballot for their no, leadership, they support but they don't support it no, for a no, national election. True. But I think, like, for the health of the party and the future, like, all those metrics you need to hit to be in a decent position to contest the next election, succeed as a party, uh, like, I think objectively the Tories are in pretty decent shape. And that's not to say that there aren't challenges. No one knows any of these people's names in real That's life. That's the problem. Right? O'Leary, yeah. they did, but the average Canadian does not know any of these candidates, well, and I, that is a serious problem when you're going to run against a celebrity. When the new leader uh, goes to work, what, what is the first thing you think the new leader of the Conservative Party needs to do on Monday morning? So, two things uh, I think should be priorities. One is party unity. So, while the party's been pretty united, like, let's not forget the history of this party. This is like a party in its infancy from a historical perspective. Uh, this is the second leadership we've had as a party. Um, it is not, you cannot take for granted that the Conservatives will stay united as one party. Uh, and it's actually, shockingly, I think, su successful and, and a testament to Stephen Harper that up until now we've been able to take that for granted to a certain extent. 
but there are superficial, if superficial fissures become deep-seated fissures, that's a big problem. So I think unity is task number one, and it's reaching out to every other leadership campaign and all their teams and saying, rah, 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 we're one big team, let's do this. Uh, and then it's name recognition. So I think that's, the house will rise soon. Uh, and then it's like hot dog eating barbecue circuit all summer. Uh, and, you know, you pick a couple like policy areas early on to define yourself so people can, so you get coverage and people know who you are. Um, but don't go down the policy path too early because that's a recipe for disaster. Prime, the top three are what people were expecting at this point. But are you surprised with where Michael Chong is right now? Uh, so I think Ch- Michael Chong ran a really um, good campaign as far as defining his issues. And I think what he, I didn't think this would happen, but it looks like what he successfully did was say, if you are a card-carrying conservative um, who feels a certain way about climate change and a certain way about a certain social issues and, and, and you're a little, you're a red Tory, you're a little left within the party, I am your person. And I'm not going to hedge on that and I'm not going to be unclear about it and I'm not going to sometimes tell you that, that, I'm, that I'm a social you know, liberal but then, but then change my mind on other days. He, he was really consistent and I think he successfully took all of those red Tories within the party and, or a lot of them and coalesced them under his name, um, which I think is why Ray did, did relatively poorly um and o'toole isn't really leading, r- rising to expectations so ontario is a a bedrock of red toryism um much to my chagrin and and i think that that has really really benefited chong and he ran an objectively a really strong campaign did rate want it i've heard a lot of gossip that she was running for atlantic canada and for female representation not for the leadership I think she did. I think she would love to be leader. Um, I think she got in too late. I think if Lisa were to be able to mount the right kind of campaign to be successful, she would have need to uh, have started a long time ago, um, and she would have need to needed to have started learning French a long time ago. Um, so, so I, I, the timing was not right for Lisa, and I think she knew that. And she's done a, a really nice thing in the last week, which is not to. She, she hasn't pretended she's going to win. She said, "I care more about the party than that. I want to talk about unity. I want to talk about everyone. You know, messages we need to have as a party." Because she she knew she wasn't going to win. So Kelly Leach is on the screen behind us right now, and I see people visibly like grimacing in our crowd. So uh, like that. I don't think necessarily a lot of people in this room are her base, but what happened to her campaign? She went from being a presumed front runner to barely registering in the top set of ballots here. If you're going to define yourself by one issue, which is a um, uh, a wedge issue in the sense that it, people either fall on, on one or the other side and they feel pretty strongly about it, you're going to motivate your voters, but you have to be aware that your voters might be few and far between. And I think, you know, you see these polls that say that 60% of Canadians actually do want to pay closer attention to who we allow into the country, because I don't. when you phrase it that way, it doesn't sound all that unreasonable. And frankly, we already do that anyway. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's not their their most important issue. It's not the thing they care about the most. So sh- the only people who voted for her are people who cared about that the most. Uh, and they, they weren't all that motivated. But like what I think is so interesting is how well Lemieux and Trust did. Um, and people tend to, particularly from the left, I think, lump together all of the types of conservatives that they find abhorrent. And so, you know, when people talk about it clumsily, they talk about all oh, those crappy conservatives that I hate, like Lemieux and Trost and, and Leach, and they're all like Trump. And well, no, they're actually very, very different. She was racist. Um, but, but, but social conservatives are often people of another race. Like yeah. recent immigrants are often the most ardent social and conservatives. That's, that's the coalition that Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper tapped into so well right. to build that majority where the social conservatives, many of whom were newer Canadians, either first or second generation, yep. and that leech completely alienated. So how, do you think that that community has stayed with the party or do you yes. think... I, well, I, certainly, I think they played an important role in this, in this leadership campaign. Um, and I think that's a good thing for the party. And I think that it's a warning sign to anyone that wants to succeed in politics anywhere in Canada that you cannot alienate immigrant communities. And nor should you. I mean, also, it helps that it's unethical and wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Jitty. <laughs> 
So a lot of people um, have said that Leach dropped in the polls immediately after Kuvalis exited the campaign, saying, you know, he's this wonder boy who could have won it for her. Or was it a reaction to the damage that he did? I think that's a little convenient and places campaign operatives on a pedestal that maybe that is not, well, not fair. And it goes in the same direction where, like, losers are always losers and winners are always winners. And, and it's rarely because of... There are so many factors beyond strategic decisions made by senior campaign staff that affect elections. So, no, I disagree. The great irony of Kelly Leach, I mean, I think we should paint her with a racist brush because she chose to sign on to this campaign. Um, and we shouldn't be shy about that. But that's actually not who she is. Like, she's so inauthentic. And this is what the party rejected, I think. People who actually knew Kelly, who's been involved since she was like 14 years old. She's like a weird red Tory who doesn't really believe that much. And someone did a focus group that a couple racists happened to sneak into and (laughs) said, this is what you have to run on. And she, like, on a weird automaton, just, like, subsumed two or three talking points and just repeated them over and over and over again. And it was, like, anyone who knows her knows that it's, like, the most inauthentic, opportunistic, weird thing. And I think that that also turned off a lot of people. But but how does that happen? I mean, how does... (laughs) Someone as smart as... Because I've heard this about Kelly Leach. I've, on this podcast, have made fun and joked about... I told a personal story of seeing her in an Air Canada lounge in Edmonton be very rude to a server when her Shirley Temple wasn't mixed properly. I've given her a lot of shit. But I've heard over and over again how smart she actually is and and how this isn't a fair representation. So how does this happen publicly? Who does she have around her... Having a high IQ doesn't make you a good person. <laughs> good and, night. That and, is show enough. Right and uh, like, look, she's an orthopedic surgeon. You don't become an orthopedic surgeon okay. by being a dummy. So, sure, sure. yeah, I mean, absolutely. But she's also what people consistently say about her, even people who really like her, is that she has been um, really, really cold-bloodedly ambitious from day one. She's a really successful person. She's checked a lot of things off her list, which is why she has so many letters after her name and insists <laughs> that they be... Oh, Do you know shit. how many, for the record? There was a button, actually, at the convention, which I, I, I'll show is you after, with, that has, like, 54 letters after her. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, That's gen- two alphabets. I think she genuinely convinced herself that uh, this was a reasonable policy, and when you talk about it in terms of should we ask people questions when they come to our country to make sure they don't want to do bad things, no one objects to that. Um, but but we already do it. Right, right. So it was where Michael Chong was profoundly intellectually honest in his approach to running in this campaign. Kelly was so intellectually dishonest that the inauthenticity was just so palpable that people didn't so have time for can, it. Because the debates, I, I tried to watch the debates. They were just a train wreck, and I didn't get a sense. I didn't get a sense of what the actual campaigns were like. Can you share a little bit what you know about what the actual campaigns on the ground were like for some of our leading candidates and what what those conversations may have been with with voters and, sure. and with these leadership? Sure. So, so I'll start with Bernier, who is currently the front runner and has been uh, since almost day one. His um, greatest strength was that he got in early, very early. Uh, and he was really, really serious. He didn't hum and haw. He said, like, I'm running. I'm going to get really solid operatives, and I'm going to commit time and money and effort and get out there. Uh, and they ran an objectively strong game. So they had a really, really strong ground game, which means you have regional organizers in every province and then organizers beneath them and people, you know, very, very organized. And that has been consistent throughout. And then he said, I'm going to have like six or eight policy pillars that will define me early on so people know what they're voting for. Mm. Um, so, so that's Bernier, and he's been very successful uh, for that very reason. He also wears a suit very, very well. Um, <laughs> oh, Maxime. Uh, he, is, he does have a certain charm. He's really hard not... He's also just really likable. I mean, yeah. he, he's a bit of a, like, a lone wolf in caucus, so he kind of doesn't... I think a lot, he didn't have a lot of caucus support because he's not one of these guys who says, like, I need to build consensus. He just says, no, this is how I feel. Like, this is, we should dismantle the CBC because I don't like it. And he has that French accent in a way that's like a, like the good one too, like the All right, suave let's one. Focus, let's focus this conversation. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You know he has nice hair as well, like Trudeau. Well, 
and that I'm matters sorry. though. Wait, yeah. let's talk about how that matters. All right. Because if we have, let's say we have Justin Trudeau running against a Maxime Bernier or an Andrew Shear who has that sort of boy next door, and you want to make him bad sort of vibe. Or and Jagmeet Singh the for the NDP. All in nice suits. Three right? men. Of course, they're all, they're all men, but let's move on from that. <laughs> oh, this is the 2024, 2023 ladies. We'll get there. Um, but it, it matters to have someone photogenic going up against this photobomb selfie prime minister. I think it really does. Yeah, like I kind I agree with you, but I also think. I would prefer a someone who can um, who is telegenetic, but who can draw some helpful points of contrast. So, some of the blush has worn off the Trudeau rose. I don't want to overstate that because he's still pulling very well. Um, but some, you know, people have. There was this moment when he came back from Christmas vacation, and we heard about his um, how he got to his vacation, and then they were being cra- stupid in, in the House of Commons, and there was this sort of moment of, and he'd broken some promise, and the, oh, maybe he's not what he, we thought he was. Like you think, anyway. Uh, so, so that will continue to happen. So, who can take advantage of that? And I think it's um, it's going after where he's weak. So he's he's elite. He's entitled. He's been a celebrity essentially since he was born. Not not by his own choosing, but he, that's he, that's a reality. He and crashes proms in Vancouver. Yeah, but yeah. not because that was actually a photo op. And, Obviously, right. So Obviously. so he's inauthentic. Right. He's he he's narcissistic like that. I think that's the stuff that's starting to stick a little bit. So who can draw some contrast? I'm trying to instead of trying to fight him on his own terms, you know. And this is a good segue to Andrew Shear. I think Shear's point was, he's urban. I'm suburban. Mm. He's like a selfie guy. I just ha- hang out in the backyard with my own kids. Like yeah. uh, you know. And I think that would be a that's the helpful contrast that actually I, I think that's re- reasonable and I think that worked for Sheer and that's been his play from day one and it's you know Stephen Harper won a majority so there are lots of things he did, did right and I want to do a lot of those things too but at the end of the day he was just an old guy with gray hair and he wasn't really good at smiling and I I can smile and I'm younger. You you brought up Harper what from from a minority to a majority to Trudeau what was the. What was the state of the Conservative Party post uh, Harper uh, going into this leadership campaign? What, what was happening inside of the party as this campaign started? And, and sort of take us through where the party was to where it is now today. Sure. So, so after Election Day 2015, uh, the party was not in a good place. Um, we probably should have done better than we did, which isn't to say we did all that badly. Um, Justin Trudeau won a majority like the seats the seats played out that way because the NDP tanked right so 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 the, the Tories did badly they lost seats the NDP did really badly and the the liberals won a majority and the liberals ran a really really good campaign um but but the Tory like the Tories won 30% I think of the popular vote like that's that's pretty good um so so they and they don't they don't need that much more to win government so, so once that kind of set in, it was like, okay, let's reset, let's refresh on staff, let's you know clear out the, and then it, we move, you know, you move into an interim leadership election. Um, I think Rana was uh, the perfect choice for interim leader, uh, and that's not because that's not to say I think Rana should have run for leader. Uh, I think Rana is best. Um, in the role she was in. She did an amazing job. She also had a really strong team and they said, we're going to refocus on things like social media that maybe we didn't care about all that much before. Um, and we're going to, we're going to get out there and just have, have really good photo ops and, you know, look really good and not take relatively inoffensive positions on things that aren't going to piss people off when we don't need to. Um, and now we're in a position where everyone feels all of a sudden really good. Like the, with this, da- and I think it's because of the data. You can't argue with the, the membership numbers. You can't argue with the fundraising numbers. Uh, and a lot of that is attributable to Rana, but a lot of it is also attributable to say what you will about 14 candidates. And yes, it was annoying and it made for really brutal debates. But it showed that a lot of people want this job. So we it have looks, the eighth ballot. Speaking of who wants the job, like coming down results. right we'll now. The, so these uh, are some results. It looks like this is the ballot that may bump Kelly Leach off. Rounds eight, nine, ten will be announced. Uh, uh, people who will be eliminated from eight, nine, and ten. 
uh, or announce uh, which candidates are being eliminated on the eighth round, ninth round, and then we will announce um, we announce the results of the tenth round. No candidate has yet achieved 50 percent. On the ninth ballot, in sixth place, Kelly Leach. Thank you, Kelly. In fifth place, en cinquième place, le candidat Michael Chong. 3,090.04 votes. In fourth place, Brad Trost. 4,633, 13.71%. En troisième place, in third place, candidat Aaron O'Toole. 4,947.14.64%. In second place, Andrew Shear, 9,557.28.28%. En première place, Maxime Bernier, 11,570. Maxime Bernier, 11,570 and 34.23%. Let's raise a glass for our friend Kelly. I don't know. I don't know. It was fun while it lasted. My glass is empty. Can I, can I have a glass? <laughs> Me too, please. Um, interesting. There's a tab. Uh, where do... Uh, Kelly Leach's numbers go. Where do, where do those uh, where do so, those balance go? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Bernier made a, a serious effort later in the game to try to say like I would crack down on refugees coming up from the U.S. and to try to uh, take a take control of that you know percentage of, of people who want to make sure that there are tough laws around immigration. Um, so maybe maybe that endears some Leach people to him. Um, I also think that there's a bit of a rural interest in Leech, uh, and I think that, that some of that might benefit Shear. Right. Um, I'm very curious to see where those next ballots go. And where, where there's potentially good news for Shear is, so Trost is shockingly high on the ballot. I'm not surprised the social conservatives did well, because I think people just don't understand how... For, for whom so, there are so many members of this party for whom um, those things are important. And I, I like to talk about cultural conservatism because when you talk about libertarians, red Tories, and social conservatives, you don't actually capture people who say, uh, life is, matters of life and whether I'm pro-life or not is, is, is fine. I'm for gay marriage. But I'm not actually defined by my fiscal conservatism or my red Toryism. I care about things like um, whether parents get to decide what their kids do instead of the government and their schools or like those kinds of sort of intangible cultural conservatism things. And it's really hard to pull that in like a yes it's or really no. It's really hard to pull that. And I think uh, that's why we're seeing that. There's, I think there are a lot of people that feel that way, not only in the party, but in the country. And that's where we're seeing some of these votes land with trust. And Bernier <laughs> is a very clear libertarian, but, you know, he's not married. He's had a series of live-in girlfriends. These are the kinds of things that he's don't connect, necessarily... Connect, loosely connected at one point to the Hells Angels. These things don't play well in parts of the conservative base. And the momentum right now, where we're seeing the votes going is sheer. He's grown more since the earlier ballots at this point than Bernie. Don't and and sheer did build a lot of goodwill as speaker. There was, you know, within, especially, you know, a lot, most of caucus endorsed O'Toole. He had the most caucus endorsements, right? But Shear would have... The second most by, very, by a very close margin. Yeah. And he, he's really the only so strong Western Canadian prairie candidate on the ballot. So, you know, Bernier is a Quebec guy. O'Toole is a um, Ontario guy. And so is Chong. So if you were just a Western-centric person, if you're the kind of person who wanted, who joined the Reform Party because you felt like the West needed back in, as it were, and you still feel that way, um, for whatever reason, whether it has to do with a carbon tax or, or anything like that, you might say that Shear is the only one left who could be who could make and sense to you. That's a very happy-looking Andrew Shear on the screen behind us. Absolutely. 
and he's kind of flown under the radar. Like Bernier, ha- Bernier was so, and and their campaign was really good at looking like they had momentum. So when I was there just a few hours ago, his entrance onto the convention floor was like you know cheers of Max, 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 and like a big big deal. Lots of young people around him. It was the same way at the Manning Center conference, which is the big sort of ideological conservative conference that happens in the winter. Um, constantly surrounded by a gaggle of young men, you know, with Ayn Rand books in their hands or whatever. Um, and Sheer was just a little subtler than that, so this might catch some people by surprise, although it's not all that surprising to me. This is Hadia Rodrigue. I hope you're enjoying this special live episode of Commons as we digest the conservative leadership race. This live taping of Commons is brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Wealthsimple, the easy way to manage your investments. Commons listeners can get up to $10,000 managed for two years for free by visiting www.wealthsimple.com commons. And as I can personally attest to, Wealthsimple makes investing easy for anyone from a PhD student and freelancer to a 70-year-old dad looking to build his dream retirement home made of bamboo in his home country. You can choose to invest in socially responsible investments, doing good for our planet and society while doing good things for your pocketbook. Or you can just go for the money if you don't want to be socially responsible. If you're a recent grad sitting on a sweet tax refund because of your tuition credits, or a steady saver, Wealthsimple can and will work for you. Skip buying those $500 Jordans and do the right thing for your future. Again, our exclusive sponsor is Wealthsimple, and you can get $10,000 managed for two years for free, no management fees, at www.wealthsimple.com slash comments. The Conservatives are sitting at almost 260,000 members right now. When Trudeau was elected to leadership of the Liberal Party, they were sitting at 60,000. And that's with that, hey, sign a fancy-pantsy little pledge and you can vote for us. So that actually is pretty telling about where that vote base is. And I think too often in our urban bubbles, we forget where this country actually sits on the political spectrum. Absolutely. Um, this was this is like the John Ibbotson thesis, right? Which I think there's been a, there have been a lot of polls poked in that thesis over the last few years for good reason. Um, but there is something, and the the country is becoming more urban, and the conservatives need to confront that, or they'll be doomed. But there's something to the idea that we, um, the commentariat class, are in our urban bubbles, and we think that people don't join political parties, and that you know, uh, how could anyone ever buy a conservative membership and vote for them? Well, 260,000 people in your country did. And where the liberal vote is a lot more volatile, and they can they can do a lot better, and they can also do a lot worse. About 30% of the people in the country vote conservative. Um, and, you know, you can't take that for granted because that could change. But that has been pretty consistent. And that there's, that's kind of, there's almost a floor. To, there's been a floor to the conservative vote. Uh, and, and again, that's not enough. You cannot win with that. Um, but it's a really nice base to have. This is why people talk about the base. And this is why you can't disrespect the base or take them for granted because they matter. I think the interesting question is where do trust supporters go? And they would go to Sheer before Bernier, right, Ginny? Yes. A bad, misbehaving SoCon is the worst kind of SoCon for SoCons. And uh, there was a bit of a message that emerged from both Lemia and Trost near the end of the campaign that um, Sheer professes to be a social conservative. He is supposedly Catholic, uh, but he is a traitor among our people because he has said that he wouldn't allow the, the abortion debate and other debates to be reopened in the House of Commons uh, because he doesn't want to lose uh, the election, uh, the general election. Uh, so they have said um, you should punish him, you shouldn't support him, even though you might think as a social conservative he should be your second or third choice. Whether or not that sticks, I don't know. Um, if you're an average social conservative voter in, um, you know, in rural Western Canada, you might just say, I don't care what you have to say, Brad Trost, I'll vote for you first because you'll defend my right, you know, you'll defend babies, uh, unborn babies the most. Um, but I think Andrew Scheer will defend unborn babies the second most. So I'm going to vote for him. Um, so, so I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know whether people are going to follow, are going to follow that advice or not. Look, O'Toole and Scheer were fighting over being the quote-unquote consensus candidate, meaning um, Bernier's in the lead. If you don't think Bernier makes sense for whatever reason, you should vote for one of us. Scheer was obviously more successful in doing that. The people that want to want to continue that Harper-era 
message will go will go to Sheer, uh, and the people who want a bit something different will go to Bernier. When you look at this group of candidates, and you look at some some of the shining stars in in caucus, and some of the new people that were elected last time around, I don't feel at all uh, uncomfortable about what a potential conservative front bench would look like, and I don't think the party does either. So the leader of this party in 2019, because of the way Trudeau and the Liberals are polling quite strong, has their work cut out for them. What will 2019 bring for the Conservative Party as we go into that election? What, what are you kind of seeing or anticipating uh, in that way? So campaigns are defined by the issues of the day, and it's hard to predict now what they'll look like. Um, and it's, it's, it will, in large part, be determined by whether it's Bernier or Scheer. Um, look, Donald Trump is still going to be um, looming very large, unless he's, like, I don't know, impeached or something by then. And these are the kinds of things that the candidates weren't talking about this during the leadership campaign because there wasn't much to say. But that's going to be a, how a new leader would deal with Trump in contrast to, you know, Trudeau is going to talk to over the phone and meet with Trump uh, a number of times, but again, between now and 2019, and how that plays out will be massive. Uh, there'll be probably be a few more terrorist attacks between now and then, unfortunately. Um, there are all sorts of issues that you don't plan for, and that's why I, I think a big reason, the big thing that impacts how, why you choose a leader is not necessarily what they stand for today, but what kind of a person they are and what their leadership style is and how they'll respond to the issues of the day. Mm. Part, part, of my, um, part of my interest in, in the Canadian political landscape is I, I'm, a, I'm an Indigenous person, I'm a status uh, Indian, and um, I wonder what the Conservatives see in terms of the reconciliation movement and, and the political and social call yeah. for a better Canada that way. Are you able to speak to that in terms of sort of a I mean, I can speak for, for myself yeah, and, and conversations I have yeah, with my colleagues and in the party. Uh, I think there is a broad-based recognition that we can no longer not have a position on Indigenous issues. I hope that's the understanding and I think that will be, I hope and think that will be the, le the belief of the new leader. Um, it's also helped, look, it, these issues are very, very challenging, and I think there was a bit of a bit of hubris on the part of the Liberals in saying, "We will fix the clean water crisis. We will um, fix the missing and murdered, murdered Indigenous women issue." And now you're seeing, well, actually, it's really, really, really hard, and it takes a long time. And it's great to go up there. It absolutely, Justin Trudeau should go to Shoal Lake and should uh, do this. You know, have his face seen and confront these issues. But when it comes to delivering, um, he's far from being there. Uh, and you're, you're hearing that a bit from the community. Actually, Jody Wilson-Rabel's father, who's a leader in the community in BC, came out and said, um, this reconciliation so far has been of a bit of a, sh of a sham. It hasn't happened. It's been slow. It's, so, um, so there's an opportunity, I think, for the Tories to say, um, let's actually take a couple of years to think about how we can use our uh, use our ideology and our the values we share to confront what is um, a massive massive issue for Canadians uh, in a way that what would contrast with the Liberals, who I think have dropped the ball. I, I think I think the um, I think the friction between Indian country and the Conservative base is is very real, especially yep. in the provinces where the Conservatives poll the highest. These are traditionally places where we see the most conflict. And, you know, it, 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 these questions won't go away. And in fact, you know, the indigenous population is the fastest growing in Canada. 40% uh, of the indigenous population in Canada is under the age of 25. These will be voters. Yep. Um, and these will be people that, uh, frankly, many of them, myself included, I voted for the first time federally. Yep. Uh, the last yep. election, I helped put Trudeau there. Yeah, the Liberals did really, really well on reserve. They did really, really well among Indigenous people in the last election. The data bears that out. So it's, it's one of those, I think it's one of those that the Conservative Party would be, uh, would well to be well to do should they put some attention there. Because, you know, frankly, the issues don't go away. They, no. They, and so, some of the issues will get worse by 2019. Some yep. will, will, will get markedly better. Uh, but um, I think you know it's one of those political discussions that it is a it is a, an issue that creates tension, creates awkwardness. Um, I agree, but when you come down to it, Scott Gilmore did a 
good job of this, I think, in the McLean's, where he basically just said, there is fundamental data that we can't ignore. Death rates, um, addiction rates, you know, we are, we have a community within our country whose outcomes are grossly and disturbingly out of sync with the rest of the country, and that is just uh, a fact that can be ignored, and you're right to say that uh, the more Indigenous people that, that vote, unfortunately, this is true, the more Indigenous people that vote, the more uh, their issues will matter, because they'll be able to have more of an impact on elections, and I, I, I hope Indigenous people continue to do that, um, but I also think there's an opportunity to say... Um, Justin Trudeau has been disappointing and hasn't lived up to his promises. So how would we go about trying to do those same things, the same things differently? I'm tell- I would have voted for Michael Chong. I'm telling you this right now. I, I, I fell in love with uh, a lot of what Michael Chong stood for and talked about. And it's uh, interesting times in, uh, in Canada, indeed. Ashley? As we wait for the 13th and final ballot to determine who likely between Andrew Scheer and Maxine Bernier will be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and the leader of the official opposition in the House of Commons, let's talk a little bit about each of their platforms. So actually, just right now, I was trying to pull up Scheer's platform again. I was reading it earlier today again to refresh myself. And he is, his team has completely scrubbed his campaign website and now it just says thank you. But I had some short-form notes, and we also had Maxine Bernier. So the interesting thing about both of these candidates is Bernier very staunchly ideologically libertarian, Andrew Scheer, a little bit more centrist, but with some social conservative leanings. That's always sort of been his his brand or his bag. Um, but they had a lot of cross-section, like both want to you know, improve gun rights, uh, want to reduce the size of government. Those sort of yeah, they agree on the bread and butter, easy, inoffensive policies. Yeah, yes. and the ones and they both voted against motion M one hundred three, and they both fundraised off of opposition to that. They both brought up C sixteen, the new transgender rights bill, in their fundraising and in their campaign. So the Liberal Party of Canada is already lining up how they're going to react to the new leader, especially if it is Andrew Scheer. Gerald Butts, who's the principal secretary to the Prime Minister, one of the architects of his campaign, is already tweeting that the Canadian anti-choice movement is on the verge of selecting the new Conservative Party leader. Sheer and the life issue is certainly going to be something the Liberals are going to try to use to brand him. If you are working for him, how do you, you know, day one, start trying to push back? Oh, well, I think Sheer's team already was very smart in saying, look, our guy could win. So from day one, we need to be very clear that while his views might be pro-life, he would never allow the debate to be reopened in the House of Commons. And... Which was the Stephen Harper and, with oh, a smile I mean, stance. no one believed it. It was always about a secret agenda. It was always about a hidden agenda. And it never happened because he didn't want to lose. And he knew he'd lose if he did that. So I believe Sheer will take a very, very similar approach. And I think Jerry Butts knows that uh, full well. Uh, but I don't blame him for, for going after the party for that reason because uh, I would do it if I were him. Well, it's good politics, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't blame him. And the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada with 51% of the vote. The next leader, Andrew Scheer. Ah! We have Ginny Bowman here cheering. So I guess she uh, let her poker face down who she was rooting for in the showdown between Maxime Bernier and Andrew Scheer. Why are you happy that Andrew Scheer is leading your party? Andrew Scheer, uh, I think, has uh, the best personality for the job. I think he has the best leadership style for the job. I think he has the best judgment for the job. Um, And he best represents the coalition of conservatives uh, that it takes to win government. Um, And I'm really excited for him. I think this is great news for the party. He's super young. He's got a ton of kids. Uh, and he's super energetic, uh, and and this part the process could have gone badly in so many ways. There could have been technical issues with voting. There could have been um, sniping back and forth. And like, I'm I'm less happy about the fact that Sheer won, and more happy about the TV shot I just saw ten minutes ago of Sheer O'Toole and Bernier standing side by side, um, because their willingness to do that with I think a genuine smile on their face says a lot about how united the party is. Give us your your thoughts on the success of Sheer's campaign. What was it that you think conservative voters saw in Andrew Sheer that perhaps they didn't see? 
Yeah, in, in Bernier directly. I think Shear said, I don't need to stake out aggressive and firm policy ground and c- policy ground that's going to alienate me from the average voter. I just need to tell people what kind of guy I am. And I think people liked what kind of guy he was. Whether that will be true within the general population, I don't know. That remains to be seen. And there are a lot of people who don't know who he is. This is his biggest challenge. He now needs to go out there and kiss babies and shake hands. Uh, and But I think that's why he was successful. And his campaign realized that it was little nuggets of policy that said, um, I'm the kind of guy you want in your corner. I, this, these are the kinds of things I care about. Uh, and I think that worked really well for him. Ginny, we want to say thank you so much for, uh, for being here. How about a big round of applause for our friend Ginny for coming in Woo, this evening to spend the me. evening with us. We, we really appreciate you. It was a great time. Uh, Whenever I time. could drink and speak to people recording at the same time is a good day. That's our show for this week. I'm Ashley Chinati. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Chinati. That's Ashley with an L-E-Y. My last name's a little weird. C-S-A-N-A-D-Y. And I'm Ryan McMahon. Follow me on Twitter at rmcomedy. Check out our website at canadalandshow.com slash commons. And you can email us at commons at canadalandshow.com. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash canadaland. The producer of Commons is Russell Gregg. And our music is produced by Nathan Burley. Thanks again to Commons' exclusive sponsor, Wealthsimple. Get your first $10,000 managed for free for two years at wealthsimple.com slash commons. If you like what we do, please support us. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. ACAST anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.